0: Let's look in Second in Peter, um, if you have your Bibles, or you can just listen. How's everybody feeling? Good? Good? All right, so I'm going to look at this verse again. <laughs> I can't quit laughing at that video. I don't know. I guess I have a sick sense of humor. <clears throat> in case you haven't been watching or coming, we've been looking at... Um, the word Lucifer in the Latin is the title for Christ in the New Testament. But most people don't know that. Um, verse sixteen, I guess I'll read in Second Peter chapter one. Peter writes here, He said, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So what's he referring to? Let's look at it quickly in Mark chapter 9. Notice he says the morning star rising in your heart, right? And the morning star is a reference to the planet Venus. And in the Greek, it's Phosphorus, who was the torch bearer or the light bearer who brought the dawning of a new day. In the Latin, it's actually Lucifer. So if you're reading a Latin translation, it's telling you <laughs> to pay attention to The story they're telling you about Jesus on the mountain as a light that shines in a dark place until Lucifer rises in your heart. (laughs) So welcome to the uh, end times. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, can't quit laughing about that. Mark 9, and he said, Truly I tell you, verse 1, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were alone. There he was transfigured or changed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Another place says his face shone like the sun. And there appeared before them Elijah, who represents the prophets, and Moses, who represents the law. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us build three shelters or three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. They were so frightened, but Peter always had to open his mouth. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now, lastly, come with me to Galatians and then I'll just comment. Galatians chapter four, verse one. <clears throat> he says, what am I saying to you as long what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Listen to this part. Carefully, because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, "Abba, Father." So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his heir, God has made you all. Or since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Phew. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who, by nature, are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So I'll quit there for now. So Lucifer is an archetype of the adversary. He's an archetype of rebellion, self-will, and ascension. The problem that we've had is that the church has told us that is evil <laughs> and i've spent several messages trying to show you that that jesus actually takes on that archetype he takes on the archetype of the adversary you can see this very clearly in his contention with the religious structures, with his own family, with his nationality. I mean, talk about somebody that's marching to the beat of their own drum. <laughs> and he did not have a weak ego, and by that I mean a weak self-concept. His, his self-concept was very strong. If you, you can really see this in the Gospel of John, because in the Gospel of John, he's very contentious with the authority structures and, and powers that be, and he's making very strong, I am declarations. He has a very strong sense of self. He has a very strong self will and self assertion. And the issue became in John, and we've looked at this, they they, Jesus said, you know, they wanted to kill him. The religious leaders wanted to kill him. They said he had a demon. His family thought he was crazy. The Romans thought he was a rebel, (laughs) which is why they crucified him, because only rebels or seditious, treasonous people could be crucified under Roman law. If you're a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified. So, Rome saw him as a rebel, (laughs) the religious system saw him as a rebel, his family thought he was crazy, everybody thought he was demonized, so he's taking on the archetype of the adversary. And he does exactly, if you read in Isaiah 14, "I, I, you have said in your heart, I will ascend. (laughs) I will ascend above the stars of God, not above God himself, but above the stars of God. In other words, I'll become the chief star. I will sit at the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the clouds. You get to Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the end of Luke's gospel. Jesus ascends in what? He rides what? A cloud. So he ascends above the clouds. He sits down at the right hand of God, far above the stars, or as Paul calls it, the principalities, powers, mind, and dominion. So everything that was in the heart of the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14 is fulfilled in the human being who is the person of Christ. And so the last statement that he makes about himself in Revelation, his last I am statement in the book of Revelation is, he says, I am the morning star, which is Lucifer, or Phosphorus. or And and so we, we looked at that video uh, this morning where the Pope, and they're leading this service, and they're singing worship and praise to Lucifer because they understand, maybe because they read Latin, I don't know, could be, um, <laughs> they, they, they understand that it's a title and a reference given to Jesus, Jesus in the New Testament. Yeah. And in Second Peter, you are told to follow the pattern that was shown on the mountain. In other words, what they're saying is we saw the kingdom and the majesty of God come in the person of Christ when we were on the mountain and the light that was in him radiated so strongly out from him that his garments even radiated with the energy of it. His face shone like the sun and they heard the audible voice of God say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now the interesting thing is that Moses, who represents the law, the Torah, and Elijah, who represents the prophets. Those were the only scriptures at the time. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. (laughs) So you have the embodiment of the scriptures in Moses and Elijah showing up with Jesus. And Peter says, it's good for us to all abide together. It's good for us to all abide together. And then what happens? They disappear and they're left with only Jesus on the mountain. In other words, they cannot abide together. Because the sun is the archetype of that which throws off everything outside of the self that tries to enslave it. Even if it's the law and the prophets. (laughs) Because the sun, the light, the radiance of the sun is the archetype of the adversary that overthrows everything that tries to enslave that light, even the law and the prophets, even the scriptures. They cannot abide together. And so Peter, who is the representative of the church, right? Even, even the, the, I mean, from the earliest of times, like, whether you like it or not, if, if you're connected at all to Christianity in the West, you are rooted in Roman Catholicism. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> the, the, right? The Anglican church came out of the Catholic church because one of the kings wanted to get divorced or something. The Pope said he couldn't, so he started his own church. Right? That's pretty Luciferian. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the church says. I'll start my own church. So if you're Methodist, you came out of the Anglican Church. If you're Presbyterian, part of the Reformation. Lutheran, and then all the other different branches and splinters and everything since then. And my point is, the Catholic Church traces their... uh, origins back to St. Peter right so here you have St. Peter who is a type of the church in scripture who sees Jesus the power the light the glory and the law and the prophets and says let's all try to get along <laughs> yep. let's just abide here together and the church has been telling us that for 2000 years because there are principalities and powers um Come on. egregories Does, you, that, that term probably doesn't make sense to you uh Corporate thought forms that are energized, that are literally spirits, that are literally powers, that are generated by human consciousness, that split off and take on their own independence, that then becomes the egregory of the church, that seeks to enslave your mind. Put out your light... (laughs) control your vote control your dollars whatever and so we are taught submission <laughs> we are taught uh, I was going to look this up I forgot to look it up in the original language but um, maybe I'll do that next week but how many of you You know, we love to quote as leaders we love to quote where Samuel uh, tells King Saul rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft now understand witchcraft's not the original term, but King Jimmy had an issue with witches and demons and he was kind of obsessed with them so he made sure it got put in the scriptures that way. And so any form of rebellion is like witchcraft and evil and God put the authorities in place and etc. Well if that's true, if that's true, then the United States of America is completely illegitimate. Because it's born of a Luciferian principle of rebellion and freedom. (laughs) So it's fair to say your nation... Oh my God. (laughs) Next time somebody says it's a Christian nation, just tell them, really? (laughs) Really it's Luciferian. (laughs) See how they respond to that. But Paul is addressing this same kind of issue and principle. Peter is saying, the day star, watch, look at this pattern of Christ, the sun, and the, the radiance of the light, and the fact that the radiance of that light and the law and the prophets cannot cohabit, and it does not represent the kingdom, or the coming of the kingdom, or the power of the kingdom, or the majesty of the kingdom. That it's revealed in this principle, and I'll get to it in a minute, ladies. It's not nearly as um, it's 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 patriarchal because the Bible is patriarchal, but it's a cultural principle of inheritance, and women were property back then. But Paul was clear, and the early church was clear that women were also included as sons, meaning as heirs. So it's an issue of position. Not an issue of gender. Got it? The issue is being a reproduction. Is that better? A reproduction. A child of God. That's really the issue and the liberation of the child of god the liberation of the true person that you've been created to be you didn't choose to create yourself you had no choice in the matter really i mean from from this perspective uh, in to, to, to where you were born to whom you were born to the fact that you even came <laughs> the fact that you even exist you had no pre choosing in that so you were you were you were you were created with certain things and sent with certain things to manifest certain things. And so Paul is saying, look, uh, Peter is saying, there's something in your heart, there's an energy and a power that is likened unto Venus, that wants to ascend, that wants to rise, that wants the full self-expression to burst forth, that wants the radiance of the light of who you are to shine, (laughs) that wants to announce the dawning of a new day. But in order to do that, you have to take on the archetype of the rebel. (laughs) Alright. He says, let that rise in your heart. And then Paul says kind of the same thing. He says, he says, God put the Spirit of the Son in your heart, whereby you cry, Abba, Abba is a Greek term that, of intimacy, where you cry, Abba, Father. <laughs> and if you are a child of God, then you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. In other words, there's something that wants to rise up your true identity to claim your real inheritance and it takes an incredible amount of energetic self-will and self-imposition mm-hmm. and self-strength in order for that to happen. Wow. Yes. That really what we're saying here is an incre- you, 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 are, you are responsible for yourself. Yeah. We're talking about a much higher level of responsibility. You cannot blame anything on anybody. <laughs> Because you have an energy and a power in you. Listen, struggle is part of it. Struggle is part of it. If it was easy, then there there wouldn't be the expansion. There wouldn't be the growth. There wouldn't be the evolution of your light and your identity. And so this archetype meets the struggle. (laughs) With an I will that says, I will throw off that which is oppressing me. That which is seeking to control me. I will throw off that which is outside myself, which is dominating me. I will throw off even that which is within myself that is dominating me. Which is why Paul says, before this revolution that happened inside you, before you got this revelation of, 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 of who you are, this revelation of sonship, this revelation of the light, this revelation of the kingdom, you were in bondage to spiritual forces. Now, your older translations say the elements of this world. Other translations say the philosophies. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a Greek lesson, I guess. The, the word there is stoicheon. Stoicheon. It's, it's Greek. Uh, it's, uh, I'm sorry. It's plural for stoicheia, the stoicheia. Let me read you some definitions of that. The stoicheon is anything <laughs> that belongs to the same series as something else. An example being the letters of the alphabet and making sure that the letters are in their proper order. Elements of speech. The, this one's interesting. The elements from which all things have come... Uh, elemental spirits. I'll talk about that in a minute. The heavenly bodies, meaning the stars, and the ancient belief that the elements of a man's life and destiny are coded in the stars. In other words, being in bondage to your astrology chart. <laughs> Basic primary principles... So Paul's saying, look, don't be in bondage to any of this stuff. Don't be in bondage to these orders. Don't be in bondage to feel like you have to fit in. Don't be in bondage to feel like you have to stay in your place. The, the the elementals, interesting thing. So, so, I don't know how many know this, but there has always been an ancient belief in elemental spirits. Spirits that reside in the air, that are conscious, sentient beings that reside in the air. They're called sylphs. The undines, which are the water elemental spirits. The salamanders, which are the fire spirits. And the gnomes, which are the earth spirits. And Paul's addressing those things and he's saying, don't be subjected to those things. Don't pledge allegiance to those things. The heavenly bodies, okay, astrology, but also the gods, Jupiter, Saturn. Saying, look, don't pledge allegiance to those things and let those things dominate you and control you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Somebody's calling It's the elementals letting us know they're around. Like, thank God, finally somebody in church is talking about us. Are you breathing? <laughs> Some things, I, I, you know, personality tests, tests and things like that are great to let you know your current patterns and level of consciousness but when you become a victim of those things oh well i'm just a virgo or i'm just a anagram eight or i'm just uh... INFP or i'm just whatever you are i'm a sanguine or i'm a melan-, whatever i mean th- those things drive me nuts I, I don't know how to take them anyway because in what context are you asking <laughs> I can be different in different contexts, so I don't even know how to answer the question. But you know what I'm saying? So so that can reveal to you your patterns, your level of, of consciousness, but people become in bondage to that and think, well, that's how they have to be. You can be in bondage to your, your culture. Well, I'm just Scotch-Irish, and that, that's just how we are. I'm just a Tomlinson. That's just how Tomlinson's have always been. I'm a, I'm a, and here's one of the worst ones. I'm a good fill-in-the-blank. <laughs> and then we're taught that, that somehow God's expectation for us is that we fall in line. That God's expectation is that we give up our will. That God's expectation is we give up our responsibilities. (laughs) That God's expectation is that we ignore and suppress and deny and crucify and kill all these urges inside of us that want to go against the grain like how many of you ever if, if you if you read the bible at all you heard some preach probably lots of times stuff i preached um and and something inside you just like ugh, like something inside you just cringes anybody ever felt that or or any or part of you felt beat down or any anybody relate to what i'm saying right that's your light and what we are that, that's cringing oftentimes that's your spirit that's your, that's your true authenticity And what we're taught to do is to sacrifice that at the altar of Bible worship. Or at the altar of church authority worship, or at the altar of our favorite teacher, or at the altar of group conformity and group consensus. Not being aware that really it's, it's not, it's not the living God, the, the creator source of all things that is, that is behind all this. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's a tradition, it's an egregory that's been around for centuries, literally. And you break with that, you challenge that, and believe me, there is a principality or a power that will come after you. Which is why there has to be something even more powerful inside you. Which is why the revelation of Jesus on the mountain is that the light that is within you when you allow it to flow from the inside out, when you when you allow yourself to be changed and transformed from the inside out, not from the outside in, then there is a power to sh- that they, they, they can throw off every form of oppression. That's what Paul is saying, Paul is saying you've not been given a spirit of slavery. If you've been given a spirit of slavery, then you just bow your knee to everything. You'd be subjected to everything, including God. And it cannot be more clear in the New Testament that that these guys are intuiting and understanding and realizing that God gave you free will and wants you to use it. That God, that God is not interested in cloning Himself or cloning all of you or cookie-cutting all of you and making you all the same, believe the same, talk the same, dress the same, act the same, walk the same, live the same. Huh. Just I'll, This will blow your mind. <laughs> Remember the term stoicheion, and Paul says don't be brought into bondage to stoicheion, right? Right? Spiritual forces. Hebrews chapter 6. God, I hate these translations. No wonder Christians are confused. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, he says, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Guess what that word is? Leaving the stoicheion of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Doctrines of baptisms and laying on of hands. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And we will do that if God permits. In other words... What the writer is saying there is, there's even stoicheion that can that are surrounded in doctrine, that the doctrines of Christ can become stoicheion that enslave you and bring you into bondage and submission. And he says, let's leave those things and go on to the word for perfection. There is maturity. Maturity is what as sons and daughters to literally become shining ones. Now, please don't misunderstand me that doesn't mean hmm hmm that's another message for another day (laughs) maybe next week (laughs) in other words really quite literally what we're being told is that there's something inside you that wants to rise there's something inside you that wants to rise and you need to listen to that light You need to honor that light. But we are completely programmed against that, gang. I'm trying to suggest to you, what if things are the exact opposite of what we've believed? What if it's completely upside down? What if that that looks like it is God is actually there to enslave you? And what if that which looks demonic to some is actually there to liberate you? And set you free. That's a hard pill to swallow. Say maybe, maybe I was that deceived. Maybe, maybe it's that upside down. But what if that's the case? It certainly was in Jesus' day or they would not have crucified him. Because they did not Know Him. Now watch this. This is where... Okay, so, so one of the things I've been contending with... <laughs> one of the things I've been contending with for, for a while now, for at least a couple of years, is this idea that Christianity is based on faith in a historical person and a historical event. Meaning the life, death, resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And if you don't get those principles, those facts right, then to hell with you. Literally. That's what God says. To hell with you. Burn for all eternity. Crispy critters. Right? How do you get saved? You submit. Right? It's it's enslaving. And so, but it's interesting because one of the definitions for faith, you know, you're saved by faith, but the definition of faith in the Bible is the substance of things hoped for, which means faith is always looking towards the future, never looking towards the past. So if you're going to have saving faith and faith is the substance of things hoped for, what in the world does that have to do with anything that happened in the past? Wow. And so maybe what's being presented to us in the scriptures that's of value to us is what those things symbolize about ourselves. that for us then Jesus, because Paul even says in, in one place in Second Corinthians, he says, don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? In other words, Paul's trying to tell him, I'm not talking about something that happened outside of you. I'm talking about something that goes on inside of you. And when you look into these things and you understand that they are symbols and representations of you, then there is a light or a pathway that you can follow for your own self-liberation and freedom so that the son in you, the daughter in you can arrive And shine. I wish I was in. Sorry, this is not a racial, (laughs) negative racial comment at all, except against white people. I wish I was in a predominantly African American church right now. Thank you. Because they know how to let their light shine. When they hear something that's liberating and empowering and setting them free. You know what I'm talking about? Where was I? So, so these things are a, these, these things are a pattern for us. So we can look at Jesus as the rebel. We can look at Jesus as the archetype of Lucifer that is brave enough to rock the system. In other words, here's what I'm saying. At some point, uh, this this pathway is about the liberation of the light that is in you. It's, It's about the liberation of the true self. But we've been programmed, I found my groove again, we've been programmed completely opposite. Because we've been programmed to think that if you think well of yourself or talk well of yourself, that you're arrogant and prideful. So that people resist feeling good about themselves because they don't want to be proud. They don't want to be arrogant. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be prideful. We are taught not to trust ourselves. You cannot trust yourself. You got to get advice. You need to listen to people that are older. You need to listen to people that are wiser. You, You can't trust yourself. And we certainly don't. We treat ourselves worse than we treat anybody else. It's amazing to me. You do know, have compassion and understanding for people who go through stuff, but you go through your stuff, you hate on yourself. You right. blame yourself. You shame right. yourself. Right. Have compassion for them, but can't turn that compassion back on yourself. Right. Talk, start talking about self-love, especially in Christian circles, and people think that, that you're part of that whatever, the, the rise of the Antichrist, the Antichrist <laughs> rising, and the great falling away, and all that other bullshit. Absolutely the truth. Because it just breeds fear and it breeds slavery. Touch not, taste not. He goes on in, in, in Galatians. He says, why do you want to submit yourself? Colossians, another place where he talks about stokeon in, in Colossians 2. He says, touch not, taste not. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stay away from this. Stay away from that. That's evil. That's going to lead you astray. Better not follow that. That's going to lead down a dark path. That's a slippery slope. <laughs> I don't know. The ditch over here with you it's been pretty crappy. Maybe the ditch over there on that other slippery slope is a little bit wider and better. I don't know. I won't know till I try. So uptight about what everybody's doing, so uptight about yourself, so uptight about trying to make sure that you march according to the stoicheon, that you march in line, that you're, you're, you're in line and in place and in order and, and man, this is effective. If this, I'm, I'm telling you, ladies, you should like really be grasping this. Because you've been told forever, your place is this, and your place is that, and, and 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 whatever. And you need to be in proper order, and all that other garbage. And it's total, complete garbage. Sorry guys, I'm sorry if I'm messing up your marriage. But if this bothers you, you're an absolute jerk. You are an entitled jerk, and you just need to look in the mirror and say, it. That's just the absolute truth. If you need your wife to submit to you. You need to find your Venus, baby. You need to find your light inside of you. You need to let go of your entitlement, look in the mirror and say, I'm a jerk. I'm an abusive jerk. I'm a narcissistic jerk. And you need to own it. And you need to throw off that crap. If I have one more woman, Christian woman, tell me she was raped... Be- by her husband, because her husband quoted some scripture in 1 Corinthians about how the woman's body belongs to him, I'm going to go nuts. That is rape. That's right. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you that these pastors, these pastors would rather have women raped and abused in their marriages than marry somebody that doesn't agree with their egregory, their, their group consciousness. They... they, they, they uh, They'd rather, I mean, it's better, you might be married to an atheist, but that atheist loves you, respects you, and supports you, and wants your light to shine. Oh, but that's a sin, that's awful. And then you're told to submit in whatever way, and women are told, uh, well, you know, they're gonna, men are gonna go out and play if you don't keep them happy at home. Absolute subjugation, slavery, and bondage. mind-bending, brainwashing bullshit. Sorry. I'm sorry if that's offensive. You should be offended that women have been put in those positions. You should be offended by the entitlement and male dominance that is birthed because we can't progress past something from 2,000 years ago. Because somehow progression is evil. Well, tell that to your doctor. Next time they want to operate on you, say, Oh, no, 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 no. I believe all truth is in the Word of God. Unless you're going to go back and treat me based on something they did 2,000 years ago, I don't want it tell your dentist that next time your tooth hurts maybe you shouldn't drive a car or get on an airplane or watch television or use a cell phone because we celebrate human achievement and progression in every single area but theological and religious and spiritual thought and then we say no, we're beholden to something from 2,000 years ago. Right. And because 2,000, you know, here's something else, uh, why am I, why am I on this? <laughs> it's good, though, with it. Come on, Aaron. I saw some on Facebook, cracked me up, I shared it, that, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be offensive, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive. But um, thank you. No, I haven't said it yet. I haven't said it yet. Uh, That's a preface for what I'm about to say. But thank you, sister. The the thing on Facebook said, "So your husband or your lover, whatever, brought you roses." King David presented his wife with 200 foreskins from Philistines. Look, honey, look what I brought you. That's in the scriptures. It's because, now here's the backstory. King Saul was jealous of David, and he was gonna give, let David uh, marry one of his daughters, and he wanted David to die in battle, so he told him to go to war with the Philistines to prove his worth, that he was worthy of the daughter. But here's the issue. If you think for one second people in the Bible stood before a priest and made vows to each other because they loved each other, you are kidding yourself. That concept of marriage did not exist. Women were a purchase. It was a business deal between two men that determined her destiny. And... I'm sorry, but virginity was tied to, like, a money-back guarantee. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is the truth. In some cultures, everybody... (laughs) The family would be in the tent with you to watch the consummation to make sure that uh, you got what you paid for. But we want to take those categories and apply them to today. You realize the prescription against divorce in the scripture was to protect women, not oppress them. Because you couldn't go back to your In that culture, you couldn't go back to your family. Chances are, who's going to take you in? Because you're just a liability at that point. And sorry, guys, having many wives had nothing to do with their sexual drive. <laughs> it had everything to do with your workforce, your labor force was your kids. It was all a business deal. And so in those times, man, a, a guy could divorce a woman because she burned breakfast. Where does she go? She has Nothing. She has no material, she's not connected to any inheritance or any family. There weren't colleges, there weren't where you could just go get jobs. Economy didn't run that way. Economy ran through families. If you were a shoemaker, you made shoes. You maintained the family wealth. And whatever you married into, that was what. So there was no inheritance. You understand what I'm saying? So the prescription against divorce—God hates divorce. Uh, Jesus telling them, if you divorce one and you go marry someone else, you're an, you're an adulterer. Was that—that that was that was a cultural thing that was there to protect the rights of women to keep them from being abused and oppressed. And we have turned it on its head, and we have told women that they have to stay in abusive marriages and abusive relationships and bad situations and situations where they aren't happy and situations or and men too situations where they have to compromise themselves because the Bible says. You shouldn't get divorced, and God hates divorce, and you're going to be an adulteress, and whatever. And so what was meant to prevent the oppression of women, because we refuse to progress, and we're beholden to values of the ancient Near East, as though somehow they are set in stone for every person, every situation, and every culture in the universe then we have turned that which was intended by the original authors as a as a support a, and rebuke against oppression, and we've turned it around and used it to enslave people and keep them in bondage. Well, the Bible says, yeah, the Bible does say. But again... Let me ask you this question. I mean this genuinely and honestly. Why do we look favorably on the progression of human understanding and consciousness in every other area of life? I'm thankful for breakthroughs in medicine. Right. right, Technology all around. Absolutely. I'm thankful that I could go get eye surgery whatever a couple decades ago and see better. Like, and it was shorter than a haircut. Yeah. The time frame. Right. You know what I mean? I've said this before, but you know, George Washington died from basically strep throat. Partly because they bled him out. Because the treatment for strep throat back then was bleeding, which means all the white blood cells and everything in your immune system is just pouring on the ground. <laughs> How many are you going to take your kids with strep throat, walk in the doctor's office, and the doctor says, let me write you a prescription for antibiotics. No, 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 no. Where's the leech sit? Yeah. Exactly. No, we don't want antibiotics. We want leeches and bleeding. For my child. Because that's how they did it back in the day. But somehow spiritual progress... Is deemed wicked and evil and demonic, and I'm gonna tell you it's the other way around. I'm gonna say by not demanding spiritual progress, by chaining ourselves and our women and our children and, and, and everybody else to, to prescriptions that, that are 2,000 years old, that worked in a culture that doesn't even exist today. Yeah, definitely. Next time somebody thundered, I did this on Facebook too, why am I doing this? <laughs> I, I did this on Facebook too, but you know, like, like, like everybody, you know, likes to quote something from Leviticus about, you know, homosexuality is an abomination. Well, there's, in Deuteronomy, there's this whole list of, de- you're an abomination if you eat shrimp. You're an abomination if you eat crab. You're an abomination if you eat pork or bacon. Start your day with eggs and bacon, you started out an abomination. <laughs> That's right. So how come there's nobody out there crusading? If we're gonna use that logic, let's be consistent. You can't just pick and choose, cherry pick. That's the so let's crusade against food orientation. How come nobody's passing laws about that? My food orientation is, is, I like shellfish, man. I can't help it. It's just an urge that I have within me. That's an abomination before God. And here's the other thing. All the proscriptions in Scripture against homosexuality only apply to men. So leave the lesbians alone. Because you don't even have a verse. Not a single verse. Yeah, it's very easy for you to sit there and condemn someone for their sexual orientation when you have never sat down and talked to them. When you've never sat down and talked to a young person who was never attracted to a member of the opposite sex and was always attracted to members of the same sex. And no, they didn't all come from abusive families. And no, they didn't all have overbearing mothers and absentee fathers. And no, not all of them were sexually molested or abused as children. And you haven't sit there and talked to them about how much self hatred and shame they have because they're told by the church that they're an abomination. And you haven't had to think about their self you haven't had to deal with their self rejection and their self hatred and their suicidal thoughts. But you're going to get on the bandwagon and, and whatever and, and condemn homosexual marriage when I'm telling you every single marriage in here if you want to go by biblical marriage, every single marriage in here is absolutely illegitimate. Unless your husband paid your father. And how about this one? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't take oaths. Don't take oaths, don't take vows. I'm not saying it's wrong to take vows. I think that's a beautiful thing. But I'm just saying it ain't in the Bible. So if we want to hold up the standard of biblical marriage, none of y'all are legit. Because the category for the marriage that you have, even monogamy, didn't exist in the Bible. So we want to pull a few verses out of context and say, well, this applies to these people. Cause that's what we want to champion and then we just ignore the rest of it? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't even realize you're the voice of the oppressor. Yes. You don't even realize you're part of a spirit that seeks to enslave. That is absolutely anti-gospel, anti-christ, anti-jesus, anti-god, anti-creator, anti-humanity. You think you're so right on the right side, I'm gonna tell you right now, you are with the powers of darkness. You are with the powers that seek to enslave. and your day is coming to an end because there are too many shining ones there there are too many torch bearers this 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 message has too much power and resonance with people that is That is causing them to love themselves, to trust themselves, to believe in themselves, to say I'm going to throw off the chains of all this stuff that causes me no longer to trust myself, my urges, my intuitions, my dreams, my desires, my thoughts, my ideas... That doesn't mean you go off and act on every single thing. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about a higher level of responsibility. I'm talking that you honor yourself and love yourself, not even in the moment, but you love and honor yourself in the future. You don't go out and try drugs because, oh, well, I'm free. I'm going to try drugs. Yeah, all you're doing is enslaving your future self. All you're doing is walking up to your future self with a bag of crap, throwing it down and say, deal with that. I'm really on a roll today. I don't know <laughs> do you, do you, no do you, do you get it? Oh, you know since we're on that let's let's get on the abortion issue Let, let's get on the abortion issue. like like, stop being so simple in your thinking. Do I, no, I personally, I personally believe that every baby conceived in the womb has a right to life. That is my personal belief and my personal conviction. Now, those of you that think the Republicans and conservatives are going to do one damn thing about that, have had your head in the sand. All they do is go around passing and, and negating legislature, legislation. Democrat gets in, exactly. Democrat gets in, they're going to undo what the Republican did. Republican gets in, they're going to undo what the Democrat did. And so we keep going back and forth on partial birth, birth abortions and all that different stuff because they keep you divided because that's how they stay in power. That's right. If you think abortion started with Roe versus Wade, you're crazy. Oh, they legalized homosexual marriage, and I remember, like, all the Christians thought Jesus fell off his throne. <laughs> like, somehow now more, more, you know, men are gonna be sleeping with men, and women are gonna be sleeping with women, because somehow now we made marriage, the, like, like it never existed before this. So if you think abortion began with Roe vs. Wade or whatever, you're nuts. People have been having abortions forever. The issue is they weren't having safe abortions. So how can you be pro-life if you're not pro-the mother's life as well? Give me this pro-life crap, but you're pro-war, pro-capital punishment. You want to deny people access to health care. You're not pro-life. You're a one-issue voter. And you don't know your statistics. You don't know... That, abortion, that the abortion rate significantly dropped when contraception was being made available to people who could not afford it. But oh my God, we can't have that. And what's the biggest voice? The church. You're violating my religious freedoms because I don't think everybody should be screwing around anyway. <laughs> well... You're violating my religious freedoms by making contraception available to people that can't afford it. And they were the biggest voice that got that removed. So you you are so cockeyed in your thinking, you don't know which end is up. Because on the one hand, you're saying, we don't want abortions. And on the other hand, you're opposing legislation that actually dropped the abortion rate to the lowest it's ever been in history. Under a democratic president. You are brainwashed, man. You don't want to think through the issues. You don't want to wrestle with the issues. You just want somebody to tell you how to think. So go be sheeple. And go find yourself a pastor. We can tell you what to think and tell you how to live and tell you how to vote and tell you all that stuff. All right. How would I get off on that? It's an election year. I'm not supposed to talk political stuff. Election year. It's bad. It's bad for business. Bad for business. Vote how you want. If you're conservative, I respect you. Absolutely. Vote your convictions. But don't act like God is up there rubber stamping it. And if you're liberal, vote your convictions. And not every liberal is trying to get God removed from the platform. Quit believing. quit <laughs> Just quit believing that stuff, man. It's just not true. And fo- maybe focus and worry more about yourself. Maybe quit worrying about who's sleeping with who and who's getting their contraception and who's doing what. Maybe just quit worrying about all that stuff. Maybe that just isn't your issue. Maybe that's none of your business. Maybe that's none of you. <laughs> Maybe maybe you need to attend to your own light inside your own heart and your own self-freedom and your own self-liberation and your own shining brightness. And maybe, just maybe, you have bought into the spirit of slavery for yourself and so you want to impose the spirit of slavery on everybody else. And you don't even know it. And now's your opportunity to say, okay, wait, okay, so I'm gonna be like Elijah on the Mount Carmel, right? Choose this day whom you shall serve. Are, are you gonna be part of the enslaving powers that wants to, to just enslave people? I mean, really, seriously. Like, who are we to tell somebody? Like, back to the homosexual issue. Well, you know, your, your orientation is that it's okay to be sexually oriented as homosexual, but you just can't act on it. So basically, it, for you to get into heaven, you gotta take the same vow as a priest. <laughs> Easy for me to say as a heterosexual person that you should deny that part of yourself. But you know, it's written in the Word of God. (laughs) Can I tell you, you're just like Peter. You want to build a tabernacle in a moment in time with a book that was relative and bringing liberation to a moment in time that in some respects and in many respects we have progressed beyond. But even then... Even then, the revelation was you cannot have the Son and the Law and the Prophets coexisting tabernacling together with Peter who is the church. If you want the power and the majesty and the excellency of the kingdom of God, then you have to be willing to let go of the securities and the moorings and the anchors of that which is outside of you, which enslaves you and tells you what to think and tells you how to behave. And you need to stop trying to put that stuff on other people. And you need to realize that there is something on the inside of you that's so powerful that is trying to break through, that Paul called the spirit of sonship, that can cause your true identity and your true self to be so realized that you become an heir of God, and a joint heir with Christ. But in order to do that, bring it full circle, and I've gone really long today, I'm sorry, but All right. good stuff. to bring it full circle, if you are not willing to embody the archetype of the adversary, you will not have the strength within yourself to uncover and destroy that which is enslaving you. So Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence as the Spirit of Sonship in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds that cries out for connection with the source and the creator of all things, to discover that connection and thereby discover who we really are, that we might become the shining ones. The Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you.